Question 97. What is a sacrament of the New Covenant? Answer, a sacrament of the New Covenant is a holy ritual instituted by Jesus Christ, wherein by sensible signs, Christ and the benefits of the New Covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. Some of you may be new enough to Protestantism or Reformed life or even, frankly, historical particular Baptist life that the word sacrament still sounds funny to you. Um, I would urge you to get as comfortable, uh, get comfortable with that word. It's an excellent word uh, in several ways. It's a word that Baptists, particular Baptists, Reformed Baptists have for uh, many hundreds of years used, I, I believe, in a way that's scriptural, all right? Um, this question is a little bit different than what's in the Westminster. Um, I think the question there is probably either what is a sacrament or what is the sacrament of the covenant of grace. <clears throat> this is a more specific question. Um, and answer. And so our first question is, why is this question limited to the new covenant? Why is the question, what is a sacrament of the new covenant? And, and I want to give you four answers. And I hope this helps you understand why we are Baptists and why we are Reformed all at the same time. I'm a Baptist because I'm Reformed and I'm Reformed because I'm a Baptist. I really believe that. And this is one of those dis reformed distinctives that belongs in our church life, uh, a view of the sacraments. But why is this question limited to the sacraments of the new covenant? The first answer. The first is to avoid the conclusion that Jesus Christ instituted circumcision and the Passover. Uh, he did not. He didn't even exist as a person when those things were done, a human person. And when one asks the question, uh, what is a sacrament? Uh, one of the ways you could answer that in the Old Testament would be, of course, things like uh, circumcision or, or other, the Passover. Or, and if you answered that way, um, Who's responsible for setting those up? Well, sacraments go with covenants. And so we're going to ask the very specific question. What is the sacrament of the new covenant? And we do that just to ensure that we aren't mistakenly thinking that Jesus Christ instituted all sacraments. Um, as the Christ, he did not. He only instituted those of the new covenant. All right, so that's the first, and that may be so obvious in one sense that it's uh, not doesn't need to be asked, but I can promise you in the history of the arguments about covenants and sacraments, it needs to be asked and answered. All right, uh, secondly, and more, more uh, importantly, perhaps, a second reason that we limit the question of sacraments in the new covenant is to properly distinguish between the sacraments of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. To properly distinguish. That's important language. 
we, we all believe that in Scripture there is progressive revelation. That means that over time, God gives more light about himself and his Christ and the way of salvation. Well, some of the pictures or types in the Old Testament were very shadowy, but as time went on, God gave more knowledge which explained them. And of course, it's in the New Covenant that this knowledge reaches its pinnacle in the revelation of Jesus Christ. We know this from Hebrews 1.1. In previous times, God spoke to us in many ways, different men, etc. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Or John 1.17, contrasting the Old and New Covenants that is the Mosaic and its related covenants um, and the new covenant. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we ask the question, what's the relationship between the Old and New Testaments? Well, the Old Testament is one of shadow. The New is one of reality. Colossians and lots of other places, all of Hebrews. The Old Testament is one of promise, of looking forward. The New Covenant is one of fulfillment, of looking back to the work of Christ. So what does this mean? How does this help us answer this question of um, distinguishing properly between the sacraments of the Old and New Covenants? Well, we simply want to recognize in general terms that that there are similarities between the sacraments of the Old and New Covenants, and there are some differences. Now, that doesn't really sound radical, um, but it's one of the things that distinguishes us as Protestant Baptists, as Reformed Baptists. We believe that there are similarities between the sacraments of these covenants and some differences. What this means in plain language is that the sacraments of the Old Covenant and the sacraments of the New Covenant are not identical. That would be a classic Reformed Presbyterian, um, Reformed Independent or Congregational or other view. Um, that's been held very consistently over the years. Um, good men, John Murray, John Calvin, all others, you can find loads and loads of quotations that say that the um, sacraments of the Old and New Testament are identical. They don't mean by that that outwardly they're the same. Obviously they're not. But they're saying in their kernel, in their heart, in the core of what they represent, there, there are no differences at all. They are identical. And that's important for them to maintain for reasons that become obvious quickly, all right? Nor do we believe that the sacraments of the Old and New Covenants are unrelated. This is the mistake of most dispensationalists and all Anabaptists. 
that there's really no uh, commonality, no similarities between the Old Covenant sacraments and the New Covenant ones. Well, Reformed Baptists, particular Baptists, historically have believed that both of these extremes are wrong, that in fact, that sacraments go with covenants and the right relationship of the covenants is one of there's some difference and there's some uh, similarity. And so in the things that are portrayed in the sacraments, there are differences and there are similarities. So we don't believe that there's an utter break between the Old and New Testament and, and nothing continues on, nor do we believe that they are really one and the same covenant and one and the same set of sacraments. All right? And that's, that's a very short and perhaps, and I apologize if that's just really too much data <laughs> in, a, in a few minutes, but what we're trying to do is, with this question and with this answer, is to properly, biblically, as we understand it, distinguish between the sacraments of the Old and New Covenants. To say, yes, in these ways they are the same, and in these ways they are different. All right? A, a third reason that this question is asked this way, what is the sacrament of the New Covenant? Why is it limited to the New Covenant? The third is this, to affirm that worship practices are linked to covenants. Worship practices in the Bible, rituals, ways of worshiping God that please him are linked to covenants. When there's a change in covenants, these things change. All right? Rituals or worship rules are always ceremonial laws. Every Protestant agrees with that. There's there's no debate about that. They're they're positive or ceremonial laws. That means that they are law because God says so. And he is free to change them. They sometimes apply to some men. Uh, sometimes they might apply to all men. Sometimes they might not apply to anyone. True worshipers of God today, for example, are not required to circumcise their male children as a religious exercise. Right? We are not required as New Covenant Christians to celebrate uh, certain um, Sabbath observances in the Old Testament. We are not. And Abraham was not responsible to baptize Isaac. He was not. Right? Worship practices change as covenants change. They are linked to covenants. Um... And so to be as precise as possible with this question and answer, our authors, our catechism editors, have added of the new covenant. Right? What is the sacrament? No. What is the sacrament of the new covenant? And the answer is, um, is as you uh, see at the top of your page. I think I said I had four answers to this. I'm sorry, I just had three. I looked at my numbering wrong. Again, that's a bunch of material. Um, it's really pretty important material. Are there any questions about that? All right, let's go to question two. Very simply, what's a ritual? 
what do we what do we mean in the answer when we say the sacrament a sacrament of the new covenant is a holy ritual we just mean it's a it's an act of religious worship it's a ceremony it's a rite so a sacrament is a formal observance in our order of worship Now, being good Protestants, and I trust we are, it's important to note that every sacramental ritual has two components, has two parts. It's physical elements and it's actions. Now, these are clearly laid out uh, in the New Testament, for example. Uh, Think about them. What, is, what are the physical elements of communion? Bread and wine, right? Those are, those are the elements. What are the actions? Well, that's the uh, viewing or remembering with understanding, taking, and eating and drinking. Those are the actions that go with communion. What's the... What's the physical element of baptism? It's water. What's the action? It's dipping or plunging in water. So those are the um, parts of the rituals. And, and that will be helpful later on. All right? Chase, good to see you, brother. Question three, what is a sensible sign? Um, We use the word sensible, and we mean someone who um, has a good head on their shoulders, someone who's being reasonable, not thinking or acting in in an unintelligent way. But that's not what sensible means here. A sensible sign is a picture of, for the senses, something suited for the senses. That's sensible. So it's something discernible by the five senses, whether it's sight or hearing, smell, taste, or touch. So a sensible sign is a picture or symbol that is perceivable by your senses. We might think of um, a road sign. You're driving down the road. There's a road sign, and it says on it, perhaps, um, perhaps you're headed into a curve. And it says, uh, stop ahead. There's a stop sign coming. Now, this sign that you're looking at isn't the reality. It's not the stop sign. It's a pointer to, it's a sign of that, right? And it tells you something about it. In this case, you discern it by looking at it, by the the sense of eyesight. Or perhaps a fire alarm goes off in a room that you're in. Well, with your hearing, you discern that someone's trying to tell you there may be danger, there may be fire. And if you were to then 
smell with your nose some smoke, you would say, oh, yes, indeed, That's a, th these are sensible signs. I mean, my ears are, are filled, are ringing uh, with an overload, uh, with sensory overload. You're receiving a sensible sign that you should probably get up and leave or at least explore what's going on. This is why I have sometimes referred to, and this is, again, ancient uh, Protestant and even before that language, but we talk about the Lord's Supper as a visible sermon or a visible word from God, right? Because this tells us something through our senses. When we hear the preaching of the Word of God, the main sense is, of course, the ear. Now, other senses are involved, but that's the main one. When it comes to things like baptism and the Lord's Supper, a number of other senses are engaged. With the Lord's Supper, the mouth, the nose, the eyes, the sense of touch, all those are engaged. And so they are called sensible signs or visible sermons or the visible word all right any questions on on that question 4 who do these signs point to the short answer is Christ, our covenant representative. Remember, these are sacraments, these are ordinances, these are rituals tied to a covenant. And so if you're in that covenant, these signs are for you. And so the answer isn't merely Christ in some generic sense, it's Christ, our covenant representative. So Christ and all the benefits of the new covenant, which he earned for his people, that's what, our, that's what is signified in baptism and the supper. Think about uh, a bread, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. This is my body, which is for you. The bread points to the fact that Christ gave himself in life and in death for his people. He died for them in his body. The cup. The cup is the new covenant in Jesus' blood. The cup points to Christ ushering in the new covenant. Again, with all of its attending blessings. For us. And we are expressly told to remember him when we take these elements. I have never had any one of you come to me afterward and complain about the texture, taste, or quality of the elements. Now, that wouldn't necessarily be entirely out of line. There might be some cases where you need to tell us and we need to, right? That could happen. You might have picked up bread that was moldy and you didn't want to eat it or some such thing. But if a person, if those extreme cases aren't true, and what you're focused on is 
is the is the grape juice is too sweet or the wine is too sour or the bread is too dry or oh my goodness you're you're missing you're missing the point you're staring at the sign instead of what the sign is pointing to so we always want to read these signs we don't want to fixate we don't want to stop on them we are to remember him in these elements and in these actions him Christ and his accomplished salvation for us all right question 5 is a sacrament only a picture is a sacrament only a picture well i hope you've been under my ministry long enough to emphatically yell no no it's also a means of grace sacraments are pictures of christ and his covenant blessings to us they are also a means of grace in other words they are a channel that god uses ordinarily to work grace in us it's one of the primary ways god gives us grace these rituals don't only represent certain things about jesus they also are sealing and applying signs in other words they they work <laughs> they have a work to do they actually convey grace when they're taken in truth and with faith by the blessing of the holy spirit they actually convey grace they don't automatically do that as the roman church claims their belief is that as long as the priest administering them was rightly ordained right down to saying the exact necessary words in the right order etc then if he blesses the sacrament and gives it out um, regardless of your state grace is conveyed it works as it works is their latin motto protestants disagree with that very fundamentally we believe that yes it must be done in a in a generally obedient or truthful or accurate way according to the institution of christ but more than that it needs two other things it needs faith in the recipient and it needs the holy spirit sovereignly and graciously making them work now those are normally present aren't they for believers coming to the table or coming to the baptismal you bring faith to worship the holy spirit comes to worship we should expect grace to be ours so is sacrament only a picture no it's also a means of grace now here are four quick ways and and this is probably inadequate but um here are four reasons to believe this all right uh, first and just generally any time a believer remembers Christ, uh, he, he should be graciously affected, right? 
he should be humbled, he should be encouraged, he should be strengthened. So when we take the supper in remembrance of him, uh, surely this is an example of that. Um, even those folks who say, as, as I was taught growing up, um, this is only a memorial meal. There's no grace here. This is not a sacrament. This is only an ordinance. Well, remember that remembering Christ with faith is itself an inward grace, an inward work. <laughs> and that should provoke in us things like love and hope and, and other graces. It's hard to imagine that it it can't or doesn't. It would seem like we're almost stopping it. It seems quite unnatural for the believer, and I think it is. But secondly, and, and more rooted in a specific text, um, the sacraments are described in 1 Corinthians 10 using the language of participation or fellowship or communion. So there is more going on in this ritual than merely the human activity of remembering. No, when we do this in faith, there is a living union with Christ It's called fellowship or sharing or koinonia in 1 Corinthians 10, 14 to 17 and, and verse 21. And that's not a theoretical sharing. That's a real life existential fellowship. It's a communing with Christ. It's Christ communing with us. We are united to him and he to us in a specific God-ordained way. And grace comes with that. That's part of the point. You see, especially in the supper, this, is, this should be so obvious. He is offered to us and in faith, we take him again. We reach out and we take the cup and we take the bread and we, uh, we are in union with him. And what he offers us is himself and all of the graces that he earned for us and, and we take those things. We take his graces and we take his continued presence to ourselves. Just as we eat, for physical sustenance, we eat Christ for spiritual grace. That's the point of John 6. That was the point of what I read from the Belgic Confession, um, which I hope made that plain in, in this morning's um, meal. Uh, a third way to think about this that, that I think illustrates or even demonstrates that this is true is that... Um, um, the sacraments confirm our faith, or, or to use uh, classical reform language, uh, they are seals. They are seals. Uh, take, eat, this is my body for you. 
Christ offers himself and we take the elements, really we're taking him in faith, we're renewing our choice of him, what are we doing? We're renewing our covenant with him. And so we are confirmed in our salvation. We are taught by the bread and the wine that God is still for us. He still wants us. In spite of your and my sins of the last week, we are still covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are united to him. He is still our God. We are still his people. And he offers Christ to us again to remind us and renew the covenant with us. When we sit down at the table of fellowship, it's a covenant meal. It's not a meal you can come to and walk away unchanged. You either are hardened or you are graced. Those are the only options. Just like when you pray, when you meet with God, you never go away changed. Just like when the word of God comes to you, you never go away changed. It's impossible because God is in it. God is there. It's not just about God. It's not just words about God or a meal about God. God is there. And he offers himself to us. And when we take him, we receive him, which is to receive grace. So the sacraments don't just inform us of what God has done for us. They do that. But they also fortify us in covenant grace. They reassure our hearts by authenticating and verifying God's work of grace in us. This is why it's important to fence the table so that we don't do harm to those who do not believe, at least to the measure that we can try. Um, A fourth and another more general argument. Um, If grace and good is not worked in us, um, during these, it, it, would, it would seem very strange. It would seem very strange. For God has instituted these things to bring glory to himself and to do good to men. That, that's true with all of his interactions with the church. And so if he's not strengthening, strengthening us as we remember him, um, if he's not saying yes to our renewing our vows with him, well then, What really is the point? Uh, We are a needy people, and it's God's general way of working with his people that as they draw near to him, that he draws near to them. And that's always accompanied. That must be gracious. All right? I preached a sermon on this that, frankly, did a much better job, I think. Um, It was actually before I was your pastor uh, in a spring Bible conference that Pastor John asked me to preach on. I know those sermons are still on our website if you'd like to look them up. Um, I gave five or six clearer reasons um, why a sacrament includes grace to us and it's not merely a remembrance. And if that's something that you wrestle with or wondering about, I would urge you to to listen. Uh, Not because I'm the greatest preacher or etc., but honestly, it's fairly difficult to find modern treatments of this classic doctrine. Um, it's, it's, 
it's not the hot topic these days. Now it might be next week, but um, we're too much interested in politics and other things in our pulpit. And so sometimes these things are hard to find. Well, let me, add, uh, let me get to the sixth question, and then that'll be the last one. And if there are questions and answers, we'll, we'll take them or improvements. Um, who are these signs for? Who are these signs for? The Protestant answer, especially the Reformed answer, and even in a peculiar way, the Reformed Baptist answer is believers only. Believers only. These signs are only for believers. Now, most of our Pado-Baptist brethren historically um, answer this question the same way. Calvin does a wonderful job of answering this question of who are these signs for. He says, for those who believe. Now, we might scratch our heads and say, well, um, wait a minute, I... I know you did that with a supper, but you don't do that with baptism. And he would answer, and I, I don't agree with Calvin here, but he would answer, oh, oh yes, <laughs> yes, we do. Some of these infants have faith, and those that don't, those who are bringing them to God have faith. So faith is never separated, he would say, uh, from these signs. Well, I, I actually can uh, admire that answer, even if I don't agree with it fully. I think that's a very biblical answer. I think the New Testament is plain. This is why, for example, historically, uh, uh, Reformed Presbyterian churches have not uh, offered um, the Lord's Supper to infants, right? Because it's for believers only. And and again, I'm I'm not trying to be uh, divisive or pick on them. In fact, I'm I'm trying to trying to do just the opposite. I'm trying to show our, our shared understanding, even if I would say, but it seems to me you're a little inconsistent, right? Um, most Reformed Christians, and especially all Baptists, have always answered this question, believers only. And all of the early Reformers answered it this way, again, which I, I, I uh, appreciate. Why is that? Well, because only faith has eyes to discern that the sign is pointing to Christ. Only faith has hands to receive the grace displayed and applied. Think of the Great Commission. Those who were discipled were baptized. There's no instance in the book of Acts where someone was baptized without faith. And again, you might think that's a Baptist-only position. It's actually not. But I do believe we hold that consistently. Uh, no one should be baptized without faith. It's clear from the account in 1 Corinthians 11 that the Lord's Supper was only for those within the church. It was for believers and those who can discern the Lord's body. All right? 